Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy Winkle. I am the rector here at Emmanuel, and so thankful to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. I'm um, equally excited because we are starting our study of the book of Philippians this morning. Um, and so I look forward to the next couple weeks where we get to sit in this, the letter from Paul and hear what he has to say um, to this young church and also to us. So um, let's get going. We're going to have a little bit of an intro into the book of Philippians this morning. Um, and I'm going to start with a map. Aren't y'all excited? Woohoo! We're going to do maps. All right. Can we get the map? Um, oh, yeah, there we go. All right, good. Um, okay, so um, we're going to do a little backstory on sort of Philippians, the, the uh, congregation of Philippians, how it, how it got started. So what we know from the book of Acts is that Paul had several what we call missionary journeys um, and how he went about with others spreading the gospel um, throughout the regions um, around uh, um, Israel, but also like further out in Palestine. Um, and further out. And so if you see here, and it's hard to see, but like his first journey is in, is more like around Jerusalem, Antioch, and in that kind of bay area there. It's not a bay, but anyway, that sea area there in the coastal region there. But then once he gets into his second journey, which is the purple, you see it starts to go out into Asia Minor, into Macedonia. And if you see like right in the middle of top middle, there's Philippi. And so that's where our community is that Paul is writing to. And so, um, on, so on, the, on this, his second journey, when he really starts to go out, he ends up in Macedonia. He makes his way to Macedonia, which is in present-day Greece. And in that, he comes to the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi would have been a Roman colony. And so likely there were many Gentiles there. Um, so coming to Philippi was the beginning of the gospel making its way into Europe. And we see specifically Paul coming to Philippi in Acts 16, where it details him as well as Silas and Timothy um, coming into to Philippi and encountering um, the, uh, uh, several women, but especially one named Lydia, who becomes a believer, her and her household become believers, and then she opens up her home. And in opening up her home and, and inviting other people who believe into her home, the, the church of Philippi is planted. And so it's to this community that Paul is writing this letter. And so it's important for us to understand his relationship with this community, with this church that he planted here in Philippi. And what we see from the beginning verses of the, of the letter to the Philippians is um, how important this community is to Paul, what an encouragement it is to him. And we see like in the first couple of verses, um, verses 3 through 5 in the first chapter, he says to them, I thank my God every time I remember you. Constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. And so we hear within Paul's words this sense of thankfulness for them, this encouragement that he, he feels from them, and this great love that he has for this community. And so it's a great joy to get to sit in this letter, to sit with Paul as he's writing to this community that he feels such affection for that he feels so tied to, who has been an encouragement to him in his spirit. So the context for the letter of Philippians is that Paul is in prison. Now, we don't know exactly where he is in prison. Um, the, you know, this is one of those things that scholars like to debate. It could be that he's in Rome. It could be that he's in Ephesus. We're not really sure exactly where he is in this particular time. But what we know is that he's been arrested for preaching the gospel, and he is awaiting trial. 
And it's so from, it's from this vantage point that he's writing his letter to the Philippians. Obviously, his heart is that he would be with them in person. But those plans have been thwarted by imprisonment. But however, while he's been in prison, these believers in Philippians have supported him and provided for Paul throughout this time. They've, they've sent him food. They've sent him other things um, as an encouragement. And so he's thanking them for their encouragement. And, and then in, in like mind, encouraging them in their faith in Jesus and in the spread of the gospel. And so that's kind of our backstory as we get into our passage for this morning, which is going to be in chapter 1, verses 21 to 27. So let's read that together, and then we'll pray. And actually, I'm going to start in verse 20. Sorry, it's not on the slide, but um, it was it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your witness of this church from so long ago, and through these words of Paul, what you might speak to us this morning. May our hearts and our spirits be encouraged in you, Jesus, and may we sense your presence here with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's two things that um, we see within this particular passage, and one of those is um, Paul's reality, what Paul, where Paul is currently and what he's currently kind of wrestling with and struggling with. And then as we get to the end of the passage, what we see is sort of him naming the reality of the Philippian believers themselves. And so let's start by talking about Paul's reality. What we see in this text is that Paul is wrestling. He's wrestling with his current situation. More specifically, he's wrestling um, with his preferred outcome of the situation. He's asking the question, is it better for him to die and to be with the Lord or to live and be present for the building up of the believers? And I think it's important for us to not like, take this as like, an easy question or a trite or flippant question. Like, well, which, you know, which would I prefer? Um, he's not like, at one point he's honestly asking like, I don't know which I prefer. Like he's really wrestling with his whole idea. In him, both are viable options. This is a life or death question. 
Would I prefer to die and go and be with the Lord? Or do I prefer to live so that I can continue to encourage the believers and build, up, build them up? His heart is torn. So we can imagine Paul in his imprisoned state. And from that, that state, we know that he wants freedom, right? Freedom can come in lots of different ways, though. It can come through departing and being with Jesus, which he says is the better option. Or freedom can come from continuing to live and seeing the spread of the gospel. It may, however, not be freedom from chains. And it, but it seems that Paul is not wrestling with that in the same kind of way. It's not even so much of like, am I meant to stay here in prison or not? Right? That's not the part of his circumstances that he's, he's really wrestling with. It's more based on like, what's going to be the verdict that comes out of my imprisonment? And as he wrestles, he seems to determine that his presence with them is more important. Now, what's interesting is, like, if we really sit with Paul's situation here, he really doesn't have control over the outcome of this, right? He doesn't really get to choose whether he lives or he dies. But he knows and trusts that God does. That it's God who will decide whether he lives or he dies, not Rome. And so because of that, because of his trust in the Lord over his life, there seems to be this peace for Paul in either outcome. Peace in either outcome. Peace in life or in death. Paul is at peace with dying because it means that he gets to be with Jesus. And therefore, there's no real fear in death for Paul. At the same time, He's at peace with continuing to live, which means that he doesn't have a death wish. He's not just hoping to die. But he feels called to live and continue to give his life to spread the gospel and for the well-meaning of his, of his fellow believers. Now, like, just to sit and think about that, that idea of being at peace either way. I mean, for us today, like, to think, like, I can just be at peace with living or dying. Like, how, how is that possible? What does that even look like? So there are two things that are quite compelling about this moment for Paul. He's in a situation of circumstances that are not of his own choosing and that he doesn't get a say in the outcome. And yet, he is at peace regardless of the outcome. Now, I think it's tempting for us to want to make Paul some kind of superhuman when it comes to this, right? But I don't know if that's really helpful I can imagine that there have been times within Paul's journey and maybe even in the midst of writing this letter where he is really struggling um, with, on his faith journey, where he might have responded differently, where he felt frustrated or angry because he's sitting imprisoned rather than out sharing the gospel like he wants to do. How is he supposed to do what God's called him to do if he is in prison? And so I don't think that, like, we should just sort of gloss over this, like, oh, he's just kind of, he's good, you know. He's, he's happy. Like, no, he's in prison. Like, he's in chains, right? Like, he, is, um, he doesn't have the freedom of his circumstances. But yet, even in the midst of that, we get the sense of peace. And I think that peace for Paul comes to him from the, re- re- the realization that no matter the outcome, His overarching reality is Christ. And so he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The reality of both of these outcomes is the presence of Jesus. 
And it is from that where his peace comes. Either way, he is with Christ, just in a different manifestation. But neither of these situations, neither death nor life, separate him from Christ. In both cases, he says, I get to sit in the presence of Jesus. And therefore, he can imagine the benefits, if you will, of both situations. But regardless of what happens to him and his circumstances, he turns his reality and his attention to the, to the reality of the Philippians. Paul encourages the church in Philippi to, he says, as he says, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, whether um, I, no matter what happens with me, I'm asking you to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he gives a vision of what this looks like. He tells them to continue on in their faith, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side. Do you see this picture? With one mind for the faith of the gospel. So here's what I think this passage shows us. That Paul is able to see some kind of reality that's based on the truth of the kingdom of God rather than on the circumstances of the moment. For himself, not so concerned about his imprisonment because the gospel is still being shared. The outcome of his, of his imprisonment is important to him, but he views it more based on his ability to experience the presence of Jesus. And then for the Philippians, he doesn't want their circumstances to dictate their lives either. No matter what, he says, live your lives worthy of the gospel. Continue on, side by side, together. You get to do this thing together. You're not alone. And remember that the reality of the kingdom is more than what you see or what you experience in this earthly reality. But what does that mean? What does that look like? What I don't think it means is, I don't know if y'all remember the whole verbiage of being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Like that's not what we see here. Like Paul's not caught up in some kind of like cloud where he's not very aware of what is happening around him. What we see if, if more, he's actually more aware of the situation that he's in. He's more aware of the truth of his own situation and yet he can still see the kingdom of God. He can still see the kingdom advancing and that God is still on the throne. But what does that mean for us in a culture as we sit where we're not under persecution or the threat of imprisonment or death over the gospel? That's not the lives that we currently live. I mean, I don't know about you, but like my day-to-day reality is just trying to get my kids to school on time. Or, or caring for my aging dog. And I just want to say, it's a miracle that this is the first time I have mentioned my dog in a sermon. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Because I spend a lot of my energy caring for her. <laughs> um, she's 17, by the way. Um, and so, like, if so much of our energy is caught up in those day-to-day things, those day-to-day realities, then what in the world does living lives worthy of the gospel mean for us in our context? In our day-to-day lives, what does that even look like? And so here's where I just want us to step back for a minute and to realize that Paul was a person. Paul was a person who was a tent maker as he was spreading the gospel. He was literally making tents when he wasn't in prison, day in and day out. The Philippians were real people 
who had vocations, who had families, who had lives, who had difficult situations that they were walking through. And yet the call for them and for us is that in the midst of the reality of life, not escaping it, but right in the midst of the reality of life, can we see the kingdom? Are we able to see what God is doing? And so I think we need to ask ourselves the question, where are you, Lord? And where is your kingdom? In this difficult situation over here with my boss that I don't know what to do about, where are you, God? Where's the kingdom? As I go about, like, carpool or whatever the things are that you have to do day to day, where are you, God? And where is the kingdom? Where is your kingdom breaking through? Because the reality is, if we are living lives that are meant to be worthy of the kingdom and the gospel, we believe, church, we believe that the kingdom is breaking through, don't we? Amen? And if we don't, then we need to sit with that. We need to ask that serious question, where is the kingdom breaking through? God is at work, whether we see it or believe it or not. Are we willing to have eyes to see it? Living lives worthy of the gospel means that we truly believe that the kingdom is here, that it's breaking through, and we're asking God to show it to us. That this, that this these, our current circumstances are not all that there is, and therefore we have to fight our temptation toward functional atheism, the belief that God exists, but that we don't live lives that act like it, that we still want to be self-sufficient, and so, Lord, we just pray this morning that you would give us eyes to see where you are. That you would give us the faith to follow you, Lord. God, in whatever circumstances that we sit in today, whether it be the mundane things of day-to-day life, or whether it be crushing situations of pain, God, and probably for a lot of us it's both, Would you help us, God, to believe that our lives can be transformed by you, by your presence, and by the gospel? In such a way, Lord, that we can have peace in you, in our living and in our dying, no matter the circumstances. So, Lord, help us to lay our lives before you this morning. May we have within us, God, a profound turning of ourselves toward you. Where we can be rooted in the reality of our lives. And yet be citizens of the kingdom. With eyes to see you, ears to hear you. And the grace that we need, Lord, to follow you. And may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.